Welcome to the 59th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast. Ear to the Ground features interviews and field reports related to sustainable agriculture, family farming, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. At various times, Ear to the Ground features excerpts of the Land Stewardship Project's Farm Beginnings course, a program for training a new generation of farmers who are interested in making a sustainable living on the land. In episode 58 of Ear to the Ground, Farm Beginnings instructor Audrey Arner introduced the idea of utilizing holistic management and goal setting to launch and manage a sustainable farm. Another major aspect of Farm Beginnings training is long-term planning. Established farmers who presented the classes often emphasize that planning that takes into account one's goals, resources, and willingness to adapt and change can go a long ways toward avoiding major pitfalls in the future. Chris Blanchard is a big believer in long-term planning. He and his wife, Kim, operate Rock Spring Produce Farm in southeast Minnesota. Over the years, the Blanchard operation has utilized the community-supported agriculture model and wholesale vegetable sales to create a successful business that the Blanchards believe will be viable long into the future. Each year, Chris gives a presentation to Farm Beginnings participants on how Rock Spring goes about doing long-term planning. His high-energy presentations, which also go into the nuts and bolts of the financial aspects of making a living on the farm, are popular with students. Here's an excerpt of one of Chris's recent presentations. Long-term planning at Rock Spring Farm. I really like this, the, this idea that the Chinese ideogram for a crisis is, is the combination of, of danger and opportunity together. And that's really what led us to start thinking about doing the long-term planning at Rock Spring Farm. I actually heard this at a friend's funeral recently. This is not a dress rehearsal. You only get to do this once, okay? Once this evening's over, you don't get to do it again. And once this year's over, you don't get to do it again. The moments that you're in are only the only time you get to do it. That's one reason why this planning is so important, okay? You want to limit the amount of time you spend being off target and maximize the time you spend being on target, doing the things that are important to you and getting the things done that are important to you to have done. All right, uncertainty. Um, this is the one reason to have long-term planning. When Kim and I, back up. So, did I tell you guys a story about how you know our first year in business we um, we sold like fifteen thousand dollars to one restaurant in town, and we sold fifteen thousand dollars to the food co-op, and then the next year both of those accounts crashed in half. And we also had an opportunity that opened up for us in the cities to do some marketing through our CSA, and so we we took all of that and started doing this long-term plan. And we realized that we needed to ask ourselves, what do we want 10 years from now? And you know what was funny? We didn't know. I'm only 38, right? So I was 28 back then. And, and you know, trying to look out, I mean, if you'd have told me I was going to be here 10 years ago, I, I, I wouldn't have believed it with the situation that I've got and the farm that I've got. Those, those things were all so far out from where I am now. And we realized that we needed to build enough profit into our system that we had some flexibility 10 years down the road. That's the other thing, is you guys aren't getting any younger. <laughs> you know, I know that because I'm not, I actually had my first time this year where I went to lift a, a 60 pound crate of carrots and I went, oh wow, that was a lot heavier than it was last year at this time. And 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 it was it was a realization for me that, that we're not, most of us aren't going to be in this business forever. We need some sort of an exit strategy. And Unfortunately, in our world, money is an exit strategy. 
you know, if you've got money in the bank, you can change what you do. Now, maybe the exit strategy is that you're going to move from something labor-intensive and physically intensive like raising vegetables to doing grass-fed cows part-time in your retirement years. Maybe you're going to get into bees. Maybe you're going to start speaking all over the country and write a book and get a television show. Okay? Um, but, you know, you want to create some flexibility so that you can change your mind down the road. What if you're in a marriage and your spouse has an accident? What if you have an accident? You know, if you're living on a thin edge, you don't have any flexibility at that point to change your plans. There are other ways to get flexibility, and those are choices you make about things like location, infrastructure, and debt. I mean, there's a reason that you want to farm in the upper Midwest than, say, farming out in, like, eastern Nevada. Okay, you have a lot more choices about what you're going to do out here. So location. Debt certainly locks you in. It doesn't give you a lot of flexibility. If you build things, that, I mean, if, if you do like we did last year and build a packing shed that's a big packing shed that's only good for packing vegetables and really isn't much used for something else, you've kind of locked yourself into that business. Okay, So there are ways that you can chew, make infrastructure choices as you're going along to give yourself flexibility. The way we did that is in our early years, we built a hoop house for a packing shed. It cost us $2,200. We used it for seven years and then took it down. It was a great deal, 300 bucks a year for a warm, dry place to pack vegetables. You just can't complain too much about that. Um, so we had a lot of flexibility early on, and that's the other thing. As you begin to winnow your operation and your choices, and you know, now you can start to firm things up. But those are choices you make as you go along. Long-term planning also gives us the hope and emotional energy we need to get through short-term crises. You know, we've had 200-year rains in the last two years. And, um, you know, those are the sorts of things where you just sit there and you go, why am I doing this? Wouldn't it be easier to be behind a desk? But then you go, oh, yeah, that's right. It's not just about today. It's about something bigger than that. Um, kids are the same way, but. <laughs> so here's what we want to ask ourselves first. What's it going to take? And I'm talking about finances here. I'm not talking about the rest of it because I was asked to come in for the financial planning part. What will it take to achieve your holistic goal? Okay. How much profit is it going to take to cover things like retirement, college for your kids, health insurance? Wow. We didn't have health insurance for the first seven years on our farm. I was really happy when we got it. And then Kim had leg surgery this year. We were really glad that we had it then, you know, even though it was just a major medical policy. Um, college is looming. Boy, that's a scary one. You know? But you, know, you want to be on top of these things. And you need to, part of this is thinking ahead. What are we going to need 20 years down the road, 10 years down the road? Other financial goals. Um, for us, one of our financial goals, we needed a new house. When we moved to our farm, the, the kitchen was being held up by a scissors jack. Okay? So um, building a new house was definitely something that we wanted to structure our income around that concept. Uh, for some people, it might be building a new car. Uh, for a long time for us, it was having a car that started reliably. That was an important financial goal. Now, and again, different people are going to have different levels of expectations about that. There are, there are, there are couples where both individuals are going to be perfectly happy living in a house with a scissors jack holding up the kitchen for the rest of their lives. That's all right. And there are other people for whom that's not going to be okay. And those are discussions you need to have and have in an honest way with your partner as well. You know, does this really work for you? And by the way, partner, you need to be honest about that back. No. Yes. Oh, I actually like it this way. You know, because you have to find ways to make sure that you're working together and meeting everybody's needs. Because if you're not meeting everybody's needs, that's a recipe for disaster. Then the, the next thing I, that's really handy with when, so 
you know, these are this is a matter of writing these numbers down. I'm going to run you through this example in a little bit. Um, charting your current position is is also an important exercise. What do you have in terms of debt? Are you still paying for college? Are you paying a mortgage on the farm? What kinds of liquid assets do you have? By liquid assets, those are things that you could sell, right? Do you have stocks? Do you have retirement plans? Uh, you know, are those things that you're willing to, to give up? Are you willing to invest those things in the farm? Or are those your safety net? It doesn't matter. That's important stuff to know. Uh, and then assets that you have that can serve as collateral. And this is something where you just want to sit down and tote up. I mean, how much are your books really worth? You know, how much is your car worth? How much is your tractor worth? And uh, so here, that's, this is an example of what we do. Uh, and I update this on a yearly basis. We just have our asset item, the date that we purchased it, which is always interesting, the purchase price, and then what we estimate the resale value to be. Um, my banker loves it that I have this because when we go to do our financial statement every year, I just take this out, and he's very happy with it. Uh, and it's also easy then to track changes in your financial situation as well. Oh, we sold the, uh, well, I'm sure we, we sold the International 606 with a loader, thank God. This is how we've charted out. This is, and again, part of this is for financial planning purposes, and part of this is just to know where you're at and start to build your intuition. You know, half of this is about numbers, and half of this is about intuition. And so we sat down and charted out one year what our mortgage looked, what our different loans looked like on the farm, and when those things were going to pay off. And that was very helpful in being able to, to look out to the future, ask ourselves, how long do we need to make certain assets last? How long until we're going to be able to afford to make an investment, another major investment in the farm? And that was, again, you know, we chose, and uh, we chose to build a new house in 2006 because we knew that the truck loan was going to pay off, we knew that the tractor loan was going to pay off, and we knew that, that greenhouse mortgage was going to pay off. So we knew that all of a sudden we were going to start to have a lot of extra money. We pulled that into our financial planning, and we knew that, that it, unless we were going to invest in a bunch of other wacky stuff, that we were going to do just fine. Then you need to ask yourself, so now you know where you are, you need to ask yourself what it's going to take to be in that financial place. And for most of us, and I think this is reflected in some of the comments on these, on these sheets around here, it's a lot more rutabagas than you might originally have thought. I mean, it takes a lot of rutabagas to make a living. And, and so you want to, but this is what's going to help you to make good infrastructure decisions. Like I told you, we built a cooler on our farm that was 8 feet by 8 feet when we started off. It was too small two months after we built it. Okay, but we'd spent all of the liquid capital that we had to spend on that cooler. We couldn't invest in another one. You know, we we were we were into a corner. But we wouldn't have done that. We would have made different investment choices had we known how big we really needed to get at the outset. Now, I think we're probably bigger at this point than we need to be. We're at a level that's suitable for the rest of our. I mean, financially, financial stability-wise, I think we could shrink the operation. You know, so I don't want to say you have to be big, but you also you want to be thinking about where you're going so you're investing at appropriate levels for that. So I'm going to show some numbers here, okay? Get your own damn numbers, okay? These are, these are our numbers. This is stuff that we came up with. Some of it is stuff that we... I, what I don't want somebody to do is, is go citing the idea that, that uh, you know, Chris Blanchard says that you can expect a 40% profit margin on growing vegetables. This is stuff that we had researched, that we looked at, that seemed like it applied in our situation. To some degree it didn't, but it got us in the ballpark of being able to think about where we were going. 
this is a this is every holistic management person has to say this at some point. But you know, when you're driving a car, right, you're never just perfectly on target. You're always a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right, and you keep making course corrections. And so, again, with this long-term plan, we did ours in an afternoon. I mean, this doesn't have to be, you know, hours and and months and years. It's a matter of just sitting down and asking, what do we need? What's it going to take to get there? And then you can start to refine that, but that's going to help you to avoid making dramatically big mistakes. We figured that, that we wanted to be making ultimately about $50,000 a year in profit on our farm. Now, you can always ask, what's profit, right? And we think of profit as being that's the money in minus the money out, okay? So we don't think about, I mean, on our tax forms, sometimes it shows that we don't make any money. And sometimes it shows that we make a lot of money. It depends on what we want our accountant to do that year. You know, because there's different ways. You can take depreciation, you can value things different ways. You know, we could throw our labor in and not include that in our profit if we wanted to. Um, our, our accountant can't do that, but we could because we're a sole proprietorship right now. So this was a number we wanted to be making $50,000 above the money going out every year. We thought that was a fair return on our investment. That would cover things like health insurance and a new house. Um, and then we, so we had gotten published figures that we had seen and indicated that you could expect on a small market garden a 40% profit margin or so, okay? So we did $50,000 times one divided by 0.4. We came up with, with $125,000 as an approximate gross annual income that we wanted to have. This is how many vegetables we want to be selling in a year. And then we added another $10,000 for capital investments. How did we come up with $10,000 for capital investments? We looked at what we spent last year. Okay? We wanted to be able to put money back into the farm. That's the other thing. You don't want to make investments that back you into a corner and don't leave you any room to continue to make improvements. Okay? So then we took, so now we're up to $135,000 a year to make $50,000 worth of profit. So we just took that and we knew that um, you know, $10,000 an acre is a reasonable amount of money to make on an acre of vegetables. Gross, and I'm talking gross income here, so that's how many vegetables we're going to sell was going to be worth $10,000. So we realized that we were probably going to need to be farming about 13 and a half acres of vegetables. Now I will tell you this was after a year of farming that we realized this. So now I had a cooler that was sized for about three acres of vegetables. I had a bunch of equipment that was sized for maybe six acres of vegetables, and I was looking at the idea that I needed to farm 13 acres of vegetables to get where I was going. Whoops. Okay, funny story. We, we were talking to some growers who, who sell at the Decora Farmer's Market about our experience at the Rochester Farmer's Market. And they said, well, how much money do you guys make at the Rochester Farmer's Market? And we said, oh, well, you know, on a really great day, we can make $3,000. And poor David, his, his jaw hit the floor really loudly. And, and, and and he's, he's like, oh, maybe I'll go start selling at the Rochester Farmer's Market. I said, yeah, but, but David, to make $3,000 at the Farmer's Market, you have to grow, wash, and pack $3,000 worth of vegetables. And he, oh, oh, yeah. You know, he realized that wasn't what he wanted to do. And that's why he was at the Cora Farmer's Market. He wanted to grow $500 worth of vegetables a week. That worked for him. Okay. So, um, you know, $3,000 a market, if you're selling things at $2 a bunch, that's 1,500 bunches. Okay. Now, I can bunch 100 bunches an hour, but you can't. You can probably bunch about 45. Um, so I don't know what that comes out to uh, mathematically. Somebody quickly, that's a lot of hours spent bunching stuff. 
So just I mean, that's and that's one very simplistic way to look at it. But asking yourself again, what's it going to take? How many acres? How many vegetables? How much time is it going to take me to bunch that many bunches of cilantro? Okay. Um, and and I can't tell you how often, like I said, this is what we do when we're at our best. You know, and you're shooting from the hip, and you make a mistake on that, and you promise somebody that you're going to be able to deliver how many heads of lettuce, how many weeks of the year, and then you back up and go, I said I was going to deliver, I'm sorry, 300 cases of lettuce a week? Oh, yeah, my cooler only fits 50. What was I thinking? And so just being able to think those things through ahead of time can save you, save you a lot of headaches. How much time does it take to clean 100 heads of garlic is a good question to ask yourself when people say there's not enough garlic on the market. There's a reason for that. And again, always remember, this is just the financial planning stuff. You can always choose to do stuff that doesn't make any financial sense at all. Okay? I mean, if we... Well, you had a kid. Yeah. That doesn't make financial I had three. <laughs> you, those are choices that... Yeah, those are choices you make. Um, and so, you know, just don't don't forget. That's okay. You can have sheep because sheep are fun. You sell the sheep because they ate all your beets. Um, okay, that's that risk factor. So, getting these numbers, and I did talk about this a little bit. We were going through these questions, but I think always asking, can I do this on a small enough scale to avoid assuming an inordinate amount of risk and to begin to collect some data? That there's a lot of risk in growing fast. There's a lot of stability in growing slowly. You know, asking yourself about labor versus capital trade-offs. You know, fast growth is going to require a lot of money. Slow growth, you can do a lot of things labor-wise. I mean, I pay people to do electrical wiring. Okay, I can do electrical wiring. I like doing electrical wiring. I don't have time to do electrical wiring, so now I hire somebody to do it. If I was growing more slowly or had structured my business differently, I might choose to take on some of those activities myself. Again, this is my business. This fits me and my personality. And so, you know, don't, again, don't think you have to do what we're doing. And ask yourself, what are the trade-offs that we're making and choosing to move as quickly or as slowly as we're moving? For Kim and I, and I mentioned this before, we both had 10 years of experience on farms. We, it didn't make sense for one of us to go to town. We both wanted to be home with the kids. We both wanted to be home on the farm. And we had a, a variety of situations that all came together that allowed us to do that which in turn propelled the growth the way that it was propelled. It was, a, it was unique to our own situation. But I think the lessons are applicable elsewhere. Be generous in your estimates because you will make mistakes. Okay? So don't, don't do things that have 5% profit margins or 7-year seven, seven ROIs. Those Because you know, you're going to screw stuff up, especially early on. I mean, you will build your packing shed in the wrong place. Your cooler will be too small. Your cows are going to die. Um, I mean, you name it, it goes wrong. Um, the sheep are going to get out and eat your beets. And then write these things down. This plan, like I said, we did this plan in four hours. It, it didn't take much. All right, We did it on notebook paper. There were no fancy spreadsheets involved at all. But it gave us a direction. But part of why it gave us a direction is we filed it away. We put it on paper and we put it in a place where we could refer to it again and again and again. So write it down because writing it down makes yourself accountable. Writing things down also does this really weird thing in your brain where you, you're making a commitment about things. You're raising your consciousness level about stuff. This is a little woo-woo, but when you start thinking, when, when you start visioning where you're going, it's a heck of a lot easier to go there than if you aren't visioning where you're going. And um, they actually talk about how Olympic athletes now, like for skiing, spend as much time visualizing going down the course as they spend actually going down the course. 
And it's not just this like, oh, I'm going down the course, right? You know, it's, it's I'm, I'm at the third turn. I'm sinking my inside edge of my right ski into the ice. I can hear the, the, the tips chattering. I can hear the roar of the crowd. It's cold. My nose is freezing. God, I wish my boots fit better. You know, going through all of that stuff, and I think those kinds of visualization exercises can be really, they're also a lot of fun if you're sitting there three years away from being able to buy a farm to be able to talk to your partner about what it is that you really want and to be able to imagine and visualize those things. For more information on the Farm Beginnings program, visit www.farmbeginnings.org. That's farmbeginnings.org. Information on Rock Spring Farm is at www.rsfarm.com. That's rsfarm.com. Send your comments and suggestions about this podcast to me, Brian DeVore, at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org. You can also call me at 612-722-6377. A special thank you goes out to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician who provided Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a very special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member and you'd like to support us, go to landstewardshipproject.org to learn how to join LSP. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 